Welcome to episode 29 of the Sports on Point podcast. I am your host, Matthew Smith, and I'm joined in studio, as always, by the phenom, Bob Williams. Hello, guys. And as usual, pressing the buttons over in the corner, the fantastic Pod Severns. Yes! Floating Joe Paterno brains in a jar! And if you don't get the reference, it's because you didn't listen to our Sports on Point Weekly Review, a new podcast released every week. So go check that out. We're going to have a little bit of an open chat, if that's okay with you guys. Is it okay with you guys out in the audience? No. All right, well, we're going to do it anyway. What do we got on the docket today, fellers? Well, we're going to talk a little bit about the gentle giant, the miserable story that is Greg Oden's career. Obviously, coming into the NBA four years ago as the number one overall pick ahead of Kevin Durant, and not panning out so good for the Blazers as this week Greg Oden has been declared out for the season. You got to kind of wonder at this point, Bob, is Greg Oden ever going to have a career? Actually, he might. You know, you, you, as a Cleveland fan, you have to look back. I, I know it's his knees, but uh, Zadrunas Gauskas had some problems with his feet, and after some time, he, he did come back to play. Nowhere near, you know, what he could have done, but give me a backup center, which is still tough to find in the NBA, and, and Greg Oden could be that if, if he can somehow stay healthy. Yeah, I think the thing you have to look at is a huge difference between Greg Oden and Big Z in this case is Big Z went out time and time again with the, the same general injuries. It was always his feet. It was always similar type injuries. Greg Oden, while, yeah, he's had injuries to both of his knees, it's been a different injury every time, which makes it a little bit hard. But I think if you're a fan of the Portland Trail Blazers or Greg Oden individually, you got to take a little bit of uh, solace in the fact that there have been several players who have recovered from multiple microfracture surgeries, such as Amari Stoudemire and Kenyon Martin. So it's there's definitely precedence there that he can come back and do well. But uh, ultimately, we're not talking about a player who relies on his ability to sprint up and down the court to make him a better player, right? Uh, you know, he's only 22. You know, but, but both Amare and I think Kenyon Martin were a little bit older when they had the surgeries. He he won't definitely be the dynamic person we thought he was going to be. But, again, if you limit his, his minutes, I think he can help a team still. It, it, it's just a matter of him getting completely healthier, as, a, as healthy as he can get. So we're talking about the Yao Ming 24-minute model? I don't think it's working out too good for Houston, but I know what you're saying. Yeah, you got you to get him kind of eased back into it. Ultimately, I, I will admit, I get a little bit confused by the uh, 22-year-old stat because of the fact that Greg Oden, ever since the first time you ever saw him, he looked like he was 40. But yeah, he, he's a young guy. He's definitely got, some, uh, definitely got some time left in the league to make a name for himself. I don't know at this point that you could uh, realistically assume that he'll ever be a better pro than Kevin Durant. I think the ship has sailed there, but uh, certainly a player who has a lot of potential left. Yeah, again, it, it comes down to potential and and. Will he ever be able to tap into that? Will his knees, will his body let him be able to do that? Because he's, you can't teach seven feet, and, and that's the biggest thing with NBA. That's why you see a, a lot of these seven-footers out there who pretty much are just raw athletes who can't shoot, who can't rebound, but who hustle and, and make a name for themselves. And this guy actually does have a nice touch on his 
shot and, and can actually get up and do some damage on the boards and stuff some basketballs right back where they came from. So I, I, I agree that it's it's just for me it's too soon to to say that he's not going to have a career. But again, definitely not one worthy of a number one overall pick. Can't teach the instincts that he's got either on the defensive end of the court. If you could, we'd have a lot more successful centers in the league. Uh, There's been some throwing around that Greg Oden is the modern-day Sam Bowie. That's the kiss of death right there, but uh, I don't think it's a fair statement. Uh, Going into the draft back in, what, 1984, everybody knew that Sam Bowie was not the best available player, but they picked him first anyway, so... Even a revisionist looking back at what was going on with uh, Greg Oden and Kevin Durant, I would honestly say that you had more questions about Kevin Durant's physical ability to play in the league than you ever did about Greg Oden's. Yeah, especially with Durant being such a tall, thin guy. um, You know they have him running out there as a small forward which is kind of humorous, but uh, that that entire lineup out in Oklahoma City definitely works. They even have a, a, another non-traditional style guy in there as Jeff Green as their stretch four. So that there were some questions. He's definitely proven everything, that he, he is one of the elite premier talents in the NBA. So it, it, it's tough when, when you're – the number two pick is that good you know technically we could be steep speaking that hey look there's a, there's a foreign based player or another player who could have flopped which would have kind of made the the this whole uh, stigma about greg odin being such a such a bad bust of a pick which unfortunately he is it might have softened it if it wasn't such a great player picked right after him and let's not let's not forget that Greg Oden, when he does make his uh, make his way to the basketball court, uh, his career average is right around a twenty three in player efficiency rating, which is really nothing to scoff at. He's he's not uh, not a superstar player, but when he gets on the court, he's a good solid he's a good solid big man. And I think any team would be extremely happy to have a healthy Greg Oden holding down the paint. I would agree. Every every team would you can't again you can't teach height you can't you can't pass over a quality center even if he's not athletically gifted as some of the other people and with that our first topic will be back right after this you are listening to the sports on point podcast don't forget okay so there was a uh funny little football game that happened over at wrigley field this weekend what, what? a football game at wrigley field haven't seen football played there in quite some time, but um, the the Chicago Bears played there quite a bit uh, a long time ago, and uh, apparently that was enough. That was all the NCAA and the Big Ten needed to think, hey, we could go ahead and play football at Wrigley Field. Didn't work out so well. So question, the Bears had done it in the past, and it worked okay. And then the Big Ten gets involved, and the NCAA gets involved, and they completely botched this thing. I'm assuming there were some sort of plan or idea or brainstorming. Did they even talk to the NFL about this just to see how they did it? Because I don't, I don't ever remember hearing anything this crazy 
when the Bears played there. For those of you who don't know, the way that the layout ended up panning out was that the the famous brick wall in the outfield ended up about six inches off of the back of the end zone line. And uh, the NCAA deemed on Friday, of course, after knowing that this football game was on tap for 18 months, they deemed on Friday that that was not safe. And if anybody's looked at pictures of it, you would deem the same thing. It definitely was not a safe environment for football to be played. But waiting to the last minute and then deciding they were playing loser walks football and both of the players would actually be scoring in the same end zone, a little bit, uh, a little bit bizarre. Uh, I, I feel like there's definitely some ball droppage going on in this scenario. There were, there were pictures. I, I, I got on Google and I looked for pictures of the layout of Wrigley Field when the Chicago Bears played there. And lo and behold, they exist. There are pictures of it. And if the people planning this game had just taken that effort, just the just the effort to Google, uh, uh, do a Google image search for, hey, how did they do it before? Then we wouldn't have had this scenario because they had the football field going down the first baseline when the Bears did it, and they did it down the third baseline in this case. And voila, we have a problem. Kind of reminds me of those old time football uh you know films that you see where the guys aren't wearing any guards in front of their face and the field goal posts are at the front of the end zone and people are smacking into them and stuff i mean well what are they thinking i mean like you said the timing nobody who had any decision making authority anywhere within this organization said hey you know that's probably not safe I don't know. I, I like the fact that we did see some of the uh, abnormalities actually play out, like the pick six for Northwestern, who who did score in the short end zone, but then had to travel all the way back to kick their extra point. Absolutely awesome. You score a touchdown, you got to walk 100 yards before you can even kick your extra point. The whole incident where they had both teams on the same sideline was a little bit weird. I'm not really sure if that was something that they planned from the get-go or if that was something that was uh, some side effect of this one end zone rule. But uh, having both teams on the same sideline a little bit odd. They've got people up there with flags and holding cheerleaders up in the air or whatever just to try to block the opposing coaches from seeing the plays that they're calling in on the field. It was uh, bizarre. Yeah, so we've pretty much come to the conclusion that, look, football, when done right, can be done in Wrigley but not done by the Big Ten, and they should probably just stick to hockey being in there. Another thing that the NCAA football organization doesn't seem to have right is the awarding of automatic bids in the BCS. I think when you look at the landscape of college football this year and you know that at the end of the year we're going to have to give a BCS spot to one of these teams out of the Big Big East, it just doesn't seem fair. As much as we've dogged on a team like Boise State, um, it doesn't seem fair that a team like Pittsburgh or Connecticut can see, can make their way into a BCS bid and leave a team like Boise State out in the cold. Yeah, the NCAA has it right for the basketball. They have a tournament selection committee, and they have a playoff. Well, it's not so cut and dry here in the world of football, so we kind of have to make deal. When when the actual agreement was made, it, it was the auto, automatic qualifying teams, which included the, the uh, Big East. The Big East has dramatically changed since the BCS inception, so I, I don't know if, if you can 
automatically yank a, a, a bit away, but it is something that definitely needs to be looked at and possibly altered. Yeah, I think the thing that we have to remember in all of this was that the BCS as an organization was in a, uh, a, a board that was put together by its member conferences. So uh, to think that um, to think that they would you know cut off their own leg in this way is is probably a little bit presumptuous, but uh, yeah, it's it's not an ideal situation, especially when you're you're looking at teams. In this case, okay, we've got Pittsburgh, who's leading the Big East with a six and four record, six six and four record. I mean, we could in theory have a five or possibly even six loss team going to a BCS bowl game. Beside the point, you've got teams like Connecticut, West Virginia, and Syracuse who are all essentially right there. South Florida's right there. Um, Any one of those teams could win this division. Normally, we would look at this thing and we'd say, look at how tight this race is. Look at how great this is going to be. These guys are going to be duking it out up until the very last minute to determine which mediocre squad gets a big spot on the national spotlight and millions of dollars in endorsements and money and... Yeah, it's kind of funny. Uh, when they first uh, changed the ruling that allowed a non-auto-qualifying team into the BCS, you know, a top-five team gets an automatic that automatic bid. So they kind of made a loophole in order for them to get in. And all these bulls or, or people who were talking about the bulls about how they had a lame duck candidate. You know, no one wanted them. They weren't the big team. Well, now, now you have a big AQ skull that, that, that is that lame duck this year, which isn't good. Each bull has a selection and they, they rotate each year and then uh, they go down their picks. And then, you know, the, the last one pick is going to get stuck with a subpar team and not really have the ratings that it could have if they could select another, another team. And let's not for, for forget that, uh, you know, that we're, we're, we're saying a lot of stuff about the big East and their, uh, you know, their lack of ability to put a competitive team into their BCS bowl game. And the ACC really isn't that far ahead of them. We we have some scenarios where we could see a eight and three or eight and four Florida State or North Carolina State team slipping into a BCS game as well. It's not like it's an ideal situation for every other conference across the board. Um, the, the 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 potential always existed back in years past that we could have an extremely uh, mediocre. Big 12 North team knock off a Big 12 South team and make it into a bowl game. And much like Kansas State did a few years back when they upset the highly touted Oklahoma Sooners in the uh, Big 12 championship game, this isn't something that's new. We've had bad teams in the BCS before, but I think this is the first time that we've seen a team as good as Boise State or TCU, whichever way the final BCS standings pan out, that's going to possibly miss out on going to a bowl games, uh, bowl game in favor of these teams that have four more losses than they do. Yeah, or, or we we can even expand it into you know the Pac-10, Stanford if they win out, Michigan State if they win out, another SEC team, Arkansas or even Alabama who have only two losses. So it's not just these non-AQ teams. That, that are getting slighted here. It, it, it's a big picture thing. For me, I, I would definitely like to see some sort of 
alteration to a selection committee for these bowls to, to, to make it a little bit more fair to a, to a general population and, and hopefully push it down the right path of an actual playoff. Yes, death to the BCS. But the BCS won't definitely let that happen. They won't ha- they won't let that happen and and so far we have not uh, we have not come up with a little dinging sound but we need to we need to have a little ding sound that says that pops up every time we talk about playoffs in college football ding <laughs> there's a couple of things that, that have hit hit this podcast topic line uh, multiple occasions the playoff one is definitely atop that list and uh, I I think let's say for example there is a playoff and we abandon the BCS structure altogether. Uh, I think there's a good chance that Virginia Tech makes that playoff. Uh, I don't think uh, I don't think any of the other possible ACC champions would be in there. No Florida State, no North Carolina State. I don't think any of those other possible ACC teams would find themselves in a playoff. I can guarantee you that if the Big East is uh, is involved in a playoff situation with no automatic bid, then uh, we don't see any of these teams in there. So uh, for the conferences, it's just another reason for them not to do a playoff because the Big East, in this case, if there's a playoff with no automatic qualifiers, they don't get anybody in. They lose out on that money. And, and that's the big picture here is it's, the BCS since its inception has always been about money and, and getting it into or sort of uh, dispersing it amongst the, the college top tier you know the the best we can hope for right now is is a possibly a plus one depending on years, and and hopefully in the not too distant future, you start seeing more of these the smaller teams do well and sort of push towards them not being able to, not have a playoff, not being able to not have. Okay, I'm with you. Sorry, I didn't follow the double negatives very well. Oops, double negative all the way. So Major League Baseball handing out a lot of awards. Of course, the big one that everybody wants to talk about is Felix Hernandez, of course, winning the Cy Young in the American League despite his less-than-stellar record. But uh, obviously a whole bunch of other awards coming out this week. Of course, win a date with Josh Hamilton is taking home the AL MVP in a vote that was not even close. We have Joey Votto. The story of the year, really, coming out of nowhere to win the National League MVP. You know, honestly, these are two high-profile hitters. The Hamilton, I really don't see how you, you can't give it to him, especially since they did so well in the postseason and throughout the year. They were sort of, the other than the Giants, they were the other surprise team. And with with Vado, that offense was almost very reminiscent reminiscent to the old big red machine back in the uh, 80s and late 70s uh, of Cincinnati that that propelled them ahead. So I, I, I maybe you can put up a, an actual argument for someone I don't know who, but it, it seems right by me. Yeah, it seems like uh, maybe Albert Pujols is the only other name in that in that hat, if you ask me, but. Uh... I think if you're a voter for the NL MVP, you've got to look at Pujols and think that he's a guy who can win it any year. There's there's nothing really Pujols does that surprises anybody anymore. And I, I think ultimately that worked against him in the voting. Joey Votto, because of the story he's been, even if they put up the exact same numbers, I think you give the award to Joey Votto every single time. The story that is Josh Hamilton has been an entertaining one um, ever since really the home run derby of a few years back where he cranked 78 out in one round or whatever the number was. What was it, 28? I believe it was 28 home runs. 
um, in a losing effort. But uh, it's been a story that uh, a lot of us, myself included, have, have followed with a, with a certain amount of interest just because of the uh, absolute train wreck that Hamilton was before that year um, in his tenure down in Florida and, and all the incidences that came out of his drug use and alcohol abuse and whatnot. So it's good to see a guy like him doing the right things, saying the right things, making the right moves, and finding himself in a position to win awards like this. Yeah, definitely a real good feel-good story. Bo- Bo- just just in baseball in general, this, this season was just kind of a weird anomaly because you had two teams that really weren't in the big picture, I guess, when you, when you think back all the way to April about being there at the end. And then you have all these, these great players who, who stepped up, whether it be the Hamiltons or the Vatos, or even like the Tim Lincecums of the world, who you know just just kind of become the story, become these these great players, and and fuels for for an actual good season where it's not the same old same old. Yeah, the, uh, the of course the uh, National League Cy Young going to Roy Halladay last week. No surprise there. Um, as we said last week, I was a little bit surprised that it was a unanimous vote. But uh, ultimately, I don't think you can. Uh, I don't think you can uh, argue against Roy Halladay taking that uh, taking that hardware home. Oh yeah, the the <laughs> I, I, of course Felix winning the weird uh, winning the weird. He won the weird award. That's that's a good way to put it because it wasn't a, a weird award. The the voters must have been fantasy baseball players because uh, a fantasy team is about the only one who got a whole lot of value out of Felix. But uh, nice to see a guy who didn't end up in the best situation, who's on a team that can't hit their way out of a paper bag. Uh, nice to see that guy can can you know get himself some hardware and 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 uh, make a name for himself in the league. Yeah, it, and, and it's good to even uh, David Price who you know finished second said that that he feels that they got it that the voters got it right so that that's always a good thing uh especially when price was 19 or yeah 19 and 6 with a 272 era and then you even have sabathia right there who was 21 and 7 with a a 3.180 era you know in every other year you know, those would easily be Cy Young award winners, but this this was just a, a very good year for, for AL pitching to be the at least the elite pitchers. Yeah, the, the knock that's the knock that's been spread around about uh, giving this award out is that he never had to pitch in a meaningful game all season. Uh, you know, his his team was never playing for anything. The teams that were playing against him weren't putting in their best efforts because when you saw the Mariners on your schedule, you pretty much just assumed you were going to win. Um, and and uh, you know, in a situation where you know, if you're Sabathia for the for example, every game that you go out there, you're getting the team's best that they've got. And uh, that's been the kind of knock on the vote. But it, it, it's kind of one of those things, if you can't go out there and put the numbers that up that he put up and win an award, then it's not possible for that award to be won by a player on those types of teams. And ultimately, that's not right. If you're putting up the numbers, you've got the better the better numbers, the better you know performances on a nightly basis than the other pitchers in the league, then you deserve to win an award. And that's what the, uh, that's what the voters did, and I think they got it right. Yeah, no, I agree. You can even look back to last year when Granky actually upended 
Hernandez. Cranky only had 16 wins, but had better all-around stats. Where Hernandez had slightly higher stats, but you know, 19 wins. So it it, it kind of comes full circle that you know he's out there pitching. Pitching is butt off, but he's just not getting any support from the offense. You can't you can't really ding a guy for for not being able to swing a bat when he actually doesn't swing a bat. All in all, I think the Major League Baseball. I think Major League Baseball this year can hold their head up high. They got their awards right. Um, I don't think there's anybody out there raising too big of a stink. So good job, guys. You got it right for a change. Bob, cue the outro. Outro. Well, this has been Sports on Point. We hope you enjoyed our show this week. If you have any questions or comments, send us an email at feedback at sportsonpoint.com. You can also call the listener line at 646-39-POINT. That's 646-397-6468. Thanks for listening, everybody, and rock on with your bad stuff. Go eat some turkey. Happy Thanksgiving.